0: This is Susan Kiley. Susan, do you want to come up here for just a second? Um, 23 years ago, Susan walked into my office up on the mountain and said, well, I'm at this church. What do you want me to do? And I said, I don't know. And she said, would you like a women's ministry? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And so she started a women's ministry uh, at our church 23 years ago. And uh, since then, she's been ordained, been through seminary, started Women with a Cause and We, the Women's Initiative to help homeless women get a a job. Uh, Susan is preaching this morning, and I'm uh, incredibly grateful for that. Uh, Francis was originally going to preach, and she uh, is at a funeral. And uh, we're incredibly blessed to have Susan filling in for her. Um, Susan's married to Leo. He's in the back there. Do you want to wave, Leo? And they have two children. And I can't, I can't four remember how grandkids. many grand, four grandkids.
1: Married 46 years, but I've known Peter, Leo, and I've been for 23 years. Yeah, I'm That's sorry. Interesting. Yeah, half <laughs> yeah, of our life we've known you. Yeah.
0: So anyway, you get extra points if you greet Susan. Okay. But try to find someone you don't know and greet them. And then I'll call us back together and we'll go on with the service. Jesus of Nazareth. He's a prophet, a great prophet, a prophet on a donkey. Humble and weak. Look for the Lord! Son of David! Master, you are the hope of Israel. You are our prophet and our savior! crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him shouting praise God God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord God bless the King of Israel Jesus found a donkey and rode on it just as the scripture says do not be afraid city of Zion here comes your king riding on a young donkey
1: I don't know if you ever understood the magnificence of the temple until I saw that video I didn't understand how huge it was but I love videos that we can use nowadays cuz we really understand what it was all about the events preceding the entrance of Christ to Jerusalem were quite dramatic, and they set the stage for Holy Week so beautifully. Jesus had just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. He was not in a coma. Many people say, oh, he was in a coma. No, he was in the tomb for four days, so much so that his body was beginning to change. And many of the friends of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, came to mourn and give comfort to his dear sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha, and you probably know the story of Martha. She was the doer. I'm the Martha. She said, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But Jesus knew he had another plan. There was such a sense of commitment and closeness for these four people, Martha, Mary, Jesus, and Lazarus. When Jesus approached the tomb, Martha got all upset and she said, no, Jesus, don't, don't even go there. The smell is so horrendous. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? And then Jesus said, remove the tombstone. And then he lifted his eyes up to heaven. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus then cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Come on, Lazarus, come on out. And Lazarus suddenly appeared and he had these incredible pieces of linen wrapped around him. He probably walked out like this because he was bound and he had a shroud around his head. But then Jesus said, Lazarus, go, take off your grave clothes. It's time to celebrate. This was the incredible miracle that drew so many to worship Jesus. Who is this man? It's important that Jesus was preparing for his death on the cross. Now we must understand what was going on at that time. Rome was in charge. They had a vast amount of territory. It reached from Italy all the way to North Africa. To the west, it was Great Britain. To the east, it was Syria, and we all know Syria. Turkey, we all know Turkey, and Greece. Because most of the people in Judea were Jewish, The Romans appointed Herod as their king. Herod was an extremely ambitious man. He was into building programs. He wanted the glory of Rome to shine. He was in control. He held the Jewish leaders accountable for keeping the peace in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and he did so by giving them political favors. With each Jewish holiday and celebration, The Jews would arrive in Jerusalem and bring much money, keeping up the economy. Because of the enormity and the architectural beauty of the temple, it was a tourist attraction as well as a center of religious activity. Rome was very happy as long as the peace was kept in Judea and religious leaders were put in charge of keeping this peace. There were also the Pharisees. They were the holy men. Some of them truly knew the scripture well and believed in God, but others were merely zealots. They were fine with the law, but they themselves were unscrupulous and, and very um, hy- hypocritical of the people. They were hypocritical also. They wanted the people to follow the letter, letter of the law, but they themselves really did not know God in their heart. It was these leaders that were wary of anyone that might take the adulation of the people away from their God. But there were Jewish people who knew the scriptures and they were waiting for their Messiah. They had heard about Lazarus. They had seen so many of the miracles, but they still were very confused. Jesus gave honor to the father, his father. He had healed the sick, but he had never raised the dead. Who was this man that would become the king of the Jews? Was this man a man who would free those from the oppression of Rome? Many of the Pharisees enjoyed material benefits afforded to them by Rome. Why rock the boat? We must do something about someone who would take away our adulation. Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey. The people that truly knew him were spreading out their cloaks and leaves, the palm leaves. They were happy that he was coming. But there were also some that thought, here he is, the king of the Jews. He's going to free us from the oppression of Rome. Many had hearts divided. Many said, who is he? Will he come to save us? or will he come to free us? What is it? Many came, some were Greeks, some were Gentiles, and some were Jews. One such person that had encountered Jesus was the Samaritan woman. During his public life Jesus encountered this woman at the well. He had stayed at the well while his followers went to get food. This Samaritan woman had had five husbands and many lovers, and because she was Samaritan, she was considered a half-breed. The Jews looked down upon her. She was at the well to get her daily quota of water at noon, because by being there at noon, she would not encounter the women who would scoff at her and make fun of her. And suddenly she saw this fine-looking Jewish man. She wondered. When he spoke to her, he said, will you give me a drink of water? She was amazed and she said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman then asked about this living water. What is it? What is it? Tell me more about it. The water he would offer to her would be a spring of eternal water and would bring eternal life. This suddenly all made sense to the woman because she knew the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. I have to tell you a story about the woman at the well. One night, Leo must have been out of town. My kids were at camp or someplace, and I was alone. And, and I was studying the woman at the well. And, and for some reason, my heart was troubled. And, and all the things that I had done in my past and my childhood were all coming back to me. And I suddenly felt in such great distress. And as I was studying the woman at the well, I said, Jesus, I need water. I need water. I need this living water now. And finally, I fell asleep. The next morning, the phone rang, and a friend of mine, Jane, who I hadn't talked to in about five years, called and said, Susan, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I am, sort of. And she said, why did the Lord get me up in the middle of night to pray for living water for you? I said, Jane, I was struggling, and then I told her the story. I needed that living water at that moment. I needed to be filled, just as we need to be filled by the Holy Spirit daily. I find it ironic that in the United States we are witnessing a similar time of anticipation. Because of the politics of the past several generations, many people are tired of the status quo of Washington. The poor are oppressed. The middle class are not able to move up, they're moving down. The rich seem to get richer. There's much talk of upsetting the status quo and throwing out the career politicians and beginning anew with a strong leader who can make everything better. It's the same atmosphere that Christ encountered when he rode into Jerusalem. Many of those crying Hosanna were crying out for a strong and powerful military leader, not a spiritual leader. Now, if you look at the time of Christ, as you look down, the economy, political forces taking advantage of others, the oppression of the poor, fear of outside forces, ISIS, Russia, dishonesty for their own game, relationship with Yahweh, Jesus, spiritual knowledge, cultural influences, do they not parallel what's going on now? I find amazing that we read in the papers that evangelicals are flocking to vote for certain people. I want you to know the media believes that evangelicals are people that merely vote to the far right. We know that evangelicals are people who embrace the gospel, embrace Jesus Christ as their savior. I believe that the United States has been richly blessed Yet our blessings may be held back now because we have departed from our spiritual Judeo-Christian roots. We kill our unborn. Abortion is now a federal law. Vermont, Montana, Oregon, California, and Washington now permit assisted suicide. And it's only a matter of time when that too will be a federal law. Humans, including children, are bought and sold through the sexual trade industry. And the highest demand is around sporting events and conventions, and that includes political conventions. According to the reports, one out of every four women will be raped during her life. Adultery is now accepted in our society readily. The internet is available. Pornography, adult and child pornography, accessible to anyone, no matter the age. The media is full of sexual filth. Sexting and engaging in sexual activity is commonplace among teens, and schools now dispense condoms so that the kids don't get venereal diseases. There's even inoculation now, which we are giving our teenagers, which will prevent any STD or venereal disease. Banks and companies are making record profits, penalizing the poor and the misinformed. Companies now provide loans on future paychecks of the poor, and they charge 50% interest. Government officials, elected officials, all buy and sell favors. If you have enough money, you can educate your child well, and yet the poor suffer those kids are left behind academically. We look away and we try to forget those who live day to day with the ravages of war and oppression that we see on our television screen. Racial inequality still exists even though in 1968 we passed the 14th Amendment. That was 48 years ago. We neglect, shun the poor mentally and physically disabled. In fact, we're annoyed that they're on our streets. Instead of helping them, we continue to acquire personal luxury that will fill our emptiness. Divorce is rampant. It doesn't matter if we're Christian or non-Christian. Violence is ever-present. Children are exposed to video games and television programs that have made them immune to the consequences of violence. Murders have become a mere statistic and domestic violence is common at all levels of society. Sinfulness is rampant. Now is the time for us to fall on our knees. It's the time for us to individually ask for forgiveness. It's the time to ask for the Lord to forgive the United States. In Second Chronicles seven fourteen, there was a great prophet and it was said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land is it not time for revival? But where does revival begin? We need a spiritual awakening within. Politicians will not solve our problems. It is the time to give ourselves to Jesus. But giving ourselves to Jesus is not only a one-time occurrence. We must do it daily. When. Pollsters asked how many people are Christians. 40 to 45% said they've had a personal encounter with Jesus. That's a ma- unbelievable. Could you imagine the change in our country if those 40 to 45% of Americans would suddenly ask Jesus to forgive their sins daily and heal our land? What an incredible impact we would have. We must get off this treadmill of instant gratification, of wanting the best and the newest. It's time to find joy in giving rather than wanting more. I believe that it's the time of sacrifice for Jesus' sake. Military strength is temporary. We have all seen military strength fail. Money is temporary, fame is temporary, and power is temporary. But Jesus is eternal and forever. When I was a child, I was taught the act of contrition. And I said it at least once a week when I would go to confession. The Catholic Church was wonderful about teaching us to look inside and reflect about how we had offended God. Now, the theology has changed. When I said the act of contrition, it said, because I fear for the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. But most of all, it is because I have offended thee. Now the act of contrition has changed. It is now, my God, I am sorry for my sins with all my heart. In choosing to do wrong and failing to do good, I have sinned against you, whom I should love above all things. I firmly intend with your help to do penance, to sin no more and avoid what leads me to sin. Isn't that a wonderful prayer to say daily? I know when I have my quiet time, I praise God, I thank God, but so many times I forget to ask him, what do I have to confess? Oh, they're just little things, exaggerations which are lies. Lies of convenience, so I won't seem that I'm less than perfect. Oh, I'm late because there was traffic. Overconsumption, one cookie, no, that's not enough, maybe half a dozen. Wasting money, do I really need another new pair of shoes? My family can really relate to that one. Even wasting water, I became so aware of the wasting of water when I went to India and I was given one bottle each day when I had to take a shower in a bucket and then I suddenly realized, my goodness, how much water do I waste when I'm doing the dishes when I'm taking a shower? It's time for us perhaps to reflect, to ask forgiveness, to make the little sacrifices. It's time for us to fall on our knees and examine ourselves. Do I overmedicate when I'm in sin? I'm sorry, when I'm in pain. What about when I'm in emotional pain? Do I go to food? Do I go to alcohol? That one more glass of wine? Do I go to the store? Some people turn towards pornography and sexual addiction. Should we judge what's right for our body? I want you to think about this right now. Think about how we go to addictions when we feel pain, instead of going to Christ. He has come. He has come for us. He wants to forgive us our sins. He wants to renew us. In closing, I want to share with you a prayer written by Father Thomas Keating, who is a wonderful author and is truly a prophet. And this is what he said. The spiritual journey is not a career or a success story. It's a series of small humiliations of the false self that become more and more profound. These make room inside for the Holy Spirit to come and heal. What prevents us? from being available to God is gradually evacuated as we get closer and closer to our center, the place where God dwells within us as redeemed people. Oftentimes it is suffering that initiates the necessity of these evacuations. But even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. In Romans 5, 8, it is written, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered.
0: Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Some people were expecting Donald Trump. Some people were expecting Bernie Sanders. Some people were expecting some sort of third-world dictator that would be more powerful than the Romans, whatever. They expected Jesus to conquer in the way that we try to conquer. And uh, he did conquer, but he conquered this way. Early Friday morning, the way the Jews measured time, Thursday night, he sat at table with his 12 disciples. One of them was a guy who would betray him. One of them was a guy who would soon deny him. All of them were weak. And uh, on that night, telling them that he had longed to eat this supper with them, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body uh, given to you. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you and do it in remembrance of me. And in that way, he conquered. In the Revelation, uh, there is a new Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus did that in the old Jerusalem, but there's a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. And the new Jerusalem is full of glory and uh, full of love and full of life. And there are 12 stones that it's built upon. And each of those stones has a name. They were the names of those 12 men sitting around that table when Jesus did this. And uh, they were both the old Jerusalem, the 12, and the new Jerusalem. Uh, Above the gates in the city, there are 12 other names, which are the 12 uh, tribes of, of Israel. And so Jesus conquers by taking that old harlot, that old harlot uh, uh, in her misery and transforming her into his own bride. And he does it this way. And he's doing it this morning as you come to the table. And so you are that Jerusalem and you open your gates by opening your mouth and he enters in the King of glory and he transforms us from the inside by giving us a new heart, a new desire, a new will, in the very place of that old desire, that old, arrogant, deadly desire that leads us to destruction. And so he's calling you to the table now uh, to receive his life and to become his bride and to know his joy. So in Jesus' name, um, we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. The dark cup is wine, the light cup is juice, They're both the love of God given to you. And uh, it's not just a law. It's not just some new capability that you have learned in some seminar. It's his very presence that takes up residence in you. So uh, may you ingest him, digest him, and become his body, his bride. In Jesus' name, let's worship
1: two things I'd like you to know. Number one is vote. I don't care who you vote for, but I'm asking you to pray and ask God to tell you who to vote for, okay? And if you're behind a political person and you truly believe in that person, then work for that person because the hand of God holds the heart of the ruler. So whether that person is good or bad, whatever, God still is in control. The second thing is, I needed this more than you needed it. I cannot tell you what an incredible joy it has been for me preparing for this and truly getting back to the heart of the matter, seeing what is so important for me. And as I close, I give you this benediction. Jesus, please hear our cries. We must confess that we have taken the easy road. We are turned our back on you. We must die to our addictions, to our greed, to our anger, and to our self-importance. We must die to ourselves and be raised up in your resurrection power. May I renew my relationship with you in a stronger way than ever. We have sinned against you greatly. Please forgive us and show us how to live for you as individuals. May those who say they know you turn and confess their sins. And Lord, may there be revival in our hearts in the United States of America. May this Easter be different. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go in peace, love one another, and sing Alleluia with the risen Christ. Mm.